Well, welcome back to the Cafe Stop. Our guest today is USAT certified triathlon coach and beat auto two running coach. Uh, also a doctor of physical therapy and sports medicine uh, and orthopedics that's specializing in those areas. Uh, and if that's not enough, she's a professional triathlete who recently competed in Ironman World Championships in Kona. Please welcome Dr. Caitlin Alexander. How are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, like uh, we were just saying, you have so much great content. I think I came across your Instagram like oh, must have been a few years ago now. But um, yeah, so you can follow along with Caitlin at Caitlin Alex or at Kate Alexander. Um, and some amazing content there. Anything from uh, some incredible singing um, <laughs> to uh, some crazy dancing, way better than I could ever dream of. Uh, but also some uh, some really practical, amazing uh, tips for athletes um, in mobility exercises, stretches. Um, just the whole whole package. So I don't think you could be more well-rounded. It's, it's super cool to follow along. So <laughs> thank you for yeah. the entertainment. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a unique combination of interests. Um, <laughs> my background is was in performing arts before I really ever even got into like sports. And so yeah, yeah. it's always a passion of mine. I mean, dan- I grew up dancing and singing. Yeah. And so I just like to throw some of that in there for the entertainment value. <laughs> no, it's, it's incredible. It's tons of fun to, to see all that stuff. Um, and I think you, you even did uh, like a dance uh, or you've done tons of different things for like, we have a mutual friend, uh, Gian- uh, Giancarlo Bianchi uh, from Water Bottle. That's at Water Bottle on Instagram. But uh, those amazing fun water bottles that you see um so yeah that's that's how i got into it a few years ago and it just you've things have really taken off uh and exploded for you as well so that's really cool to see thank you thank you so much yeah and uh we're staying awake today i know mike's almost finished his coffee it's okay uh, it's, oh perfect it's gonna be a long episode <laughs> for me <laughs> uh, but we're staying caffeinated and awake thanks to crucible coffee and you can check them out on instagram as well they're at crucible.coffee um and some really uh really great people over there that you've been involved with for a little bit uh how, yeah. how your relationships start with them They've been great. So they're from my hometown in Stanton, Virginia, and okay, um, okay. they're they're a pretty new coffee shop roasting company there. And it actually started, I think, I want to say like during the pandemic or before when my dad, so my parents still live back home in Virginia and uh, oh, nice. my dad, Crucible opened up and my dad went there and he really likes the coffee and they have like a like a monthly shipment program. They basically ship you whole beans every month. And so he started shipping those to our place here in Colorado. So oh, I've wow. literally been drinking crucible coffee every single morning for <laughs> probably like three years now. Wow. And I, I, I am like definitely a coffee snob. Um, yeah. Like we get the whole beans, we grind it. Um, I don't do the hand grinder. We have one, but that's like a little <laughs> bit excessive. Um, but we do like, we've got pour over, we've got French press, we've got AeroPress, everything. And I, oh, yeah, wow. like I wouldn't, be drinking the crucible coffee every morning if I didn't love it. So, um, and they're just great people. Like, um, Brendan is amazing. And the, the shop is really nice. I went to Virginia and visited it last year and, um, yeah, it's just good, good people to be connected with. Yeah. Yeah. It makes, uh, makes it all the more enjoyable and all that much better of an experience. Um, and every single day for three years from a coffee snob, that's a pretty stellar endorsement, I must say. <laughs> yeah. It, it says a lot. Yeah. <laughs> There's some pretty cool match as well that you can get shipped to you if you're not in the local area. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. it's really nice. Just I think we get like a biweekly shipment um, of like a bag of coffee, and it it's like perfect. So yeah, amazing. Yeah, check it out. Um, my my favorite question of of every episode is uh, this one here, where we talk about racing to the the cafe, and Josh and I will obviously always lose because we're incredibly unfit, um, <laughs> especially at this time of year in Canada as it gets towards the winter. Um, but, but, but what are we buying you uh, when we finally get to the coffee shop? What's your order? Oh, I'm really simple. Uh, black coffee drip. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Mostly, okay. especially if it's cold outside and like you go into the coffee shop after, like in the middle of a ride and you just want something warm in your hands and something warm to like sip from. Yeah. That's really nice. But if I'm really just like looking for that caffeine pick me up and like I don't want the stop to be that long, it'll be like a shot of espresso. Any pastries? Sure. Any baked goods? Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure, depending on where we're going, I'm like a sucker for baked good and sweets. So any kind of like, I love croissants, muffins, cookies, like anything with sugar, basically. I'm with you, 100%. <laughs> sugar, yeah. carbohydrates. Yeah. Yes, yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> you can't go wrong. It's just no. a classic. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh well awesome awesome so we know what to get you if we ever uh hit the road together which hopefully we do um yeah come to colorado oh uh, yes i think mike You're and i definitely have to book person. a trip yeah everyone <laughs> keeps saying come to colorado that's where we gotta go josh <laughs> yes yeah no it is a, a friend of mike and i uh she was recently there working at the sram headquarters actually uh oddly enough um i have nice. been preparing uh for this episode doing some reading um I have anatomy for babies. Um, <laughs> and then the other one is uh, you poop here. Um, oh so my God. <laughs> that's, I've been heavily into those books the last few days with my uh, one and a half year old son. He's almost one and a half. Um, but we've been learning together. Um, so that is my current uh, comprehension of uh, physiology. Of, of the human anatomy. Uh, yeah. So I'm very grateful that you're here. <laughs> You might have to awesome. let me that you poop here soon, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Just personal gosh. reading. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe if That's they screw awesome. up your order at the cafe, Mike. Yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, Caitlin, um, uh, you, you started out with running and, and cross country uh, when you were younger, right? And I think, was it you said you did your first running race around eight years old? Yeah. So my dad got into running in his like mid thirties when I was still pretty young and, um, he started running marathons. And so he has been kind of the inspiration behind like our whole family being active. And he, he helped me train, train in quotation marks. Like I think I ran like a couple times before this race, but like train for a local 5k when I was eight or nine. Um, and so that was like my, my first kind of foray into running and running races. And I honestly like, didn't really like running that much when I was that young, I ran cross country in middle school and maybe a year or two in high school, but I was always getting injured. Like I had one injury after another and it just, it's not fun to run when it hurts. Yeah. So I just, you didn't really enjoy it. I was dancing a lot at the time and was just kind of sticking to that. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I got into triathlon because 
there were, I think like the local YMCA or something was hosting a youth triathlon in the area. And so me and my younger sister signed up because we obviously ran, ran, uh, we yeah. both had been taking swimming lessons. We were swimming and then we, we had bikes. <laughs> I, I wasn't a cyclist really back then, but I had a bike and I knew how to ride two wheels. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we signed up for the triathlon and I absolutely loved it. Like absolutely loved it because I I've always been really diverse in terms of my interests. And you can definitely pick that up mm. with my my Instagram, my social media, (laughs) like that kind of jack of all trades, master of none sort of type of person. And so I loved the sport of triathlon because it was diverse, um, Mm. you know, incorporating three different sports into one. And I also love the fact that I didn't have to run every single day. (laughs) And honestly, that's a big reason why I got into it because I just couldn't, I couldn't run like seven days a week without injuring myself. So yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. Um, yeah, I think I might average a couple five Ks per year or something like that. Uh, I don't know if Mike has ever done one. Five <laughs> K when I was a child, cross country, um, but, but never competitively. It was usually running away from sheep. Uh, <laughs> I mean, practical. Yeah, no, absolutely. I guess growing up in the UK, it looks a little different, obviously. Than, yeah. than North we don't have houses there. Yeah, there's just fields and sheep. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, no, but uh, at least you have a nice igloo here in Canada now. Exactly. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> Thank God for um, the air conditioning. <laughs> but no, the, um, that's, uh, that's a crazy sort of evolution. Um, but super cool as well that your dad kind of got everyone into it and uh, um, sparked that for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. definitely has influenced like, our, our whole family, everyone in my family runs. I mean, no one competitively like I do. Um, mm. but you know, that's just part of our lifestyle. We've grown up, like I grew up going to marathons and watching my dad run, like spectating mm. on the sidelines with my mom in a stroll with my younger sister in a stroller and me and my brother and my mom trying to handle three different kids running around the race course, <laughs> like trying, trying to find my dad during this marathon. Like those are my earliest memories, um, oh, wow. of like racing and my dad running and stuff. So yeah, nice. I definitely wouldn't be where I am without like his influence. That's awesome. Yeah, super cool. Um, and so you've been at it now, I guess, for the better part of like a couple of decades, right? Um, and obviously there's there's been different uh, progressions throughout that. But, um, you know, how has everything sort of intertwined and like influenced you and your perspective on sport? And like, how have you come to where you are today in your work as a physical therapist and, you know, your studies, even like a doctor of physical therapy, that's, that's pretty incredible. And I understand that's not the first thing that you went to school for, uh, because you reference your performing arts background. Definitely. I, so when in college, I really pursue the performing arts side of things. And I, mm. I wanted to pursue that professionally, but ended up working on the business side of it. Uh, so I, worked for a record label in New York city after college for a couple years. And it just really wasn't fulfilling for me. Um, you know, I thought it's see, it's one of those jobs where it seems more glamorous than it actually is on the, like on the inside. And so I was at this point in my life where I didn't really know what to do, um, with my career. Like I wasn't happy. I, I didn't really do any sports or like I didn't really exercise at all through college. Um, cause I think I was just like, you know, I wasn't really liking running growing up and I was just kind of burnt out from, from doing all of that. And 
Um, after college, I decided to pick triathlon back up again because, you know, it's familiar to me. It's something I grew up with and it felt like something easy to get back into. And so I did that and was really, really loving it in New York city. And I, what got me ultimately into PT was I got into a bike accident in New York and ended up having to have surgery and go through like the whole PT process for nine months. And I was like, this is such a cool profession. Like I had never really been exposed to it before. And, you know, it really seemed to complement me and my strengths. And obviously I didn't have the educational background, um, to go right into it. And so, I'm the type of person that's, you know, when I want something, I will literally commit 110% to it. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to quit my job and literally go back to school for two years just to take prereqs to apply to PT school. So I did that all while trading, um, at like the amateur level and, you know, applied to PT school, got in as a, you know, second career and, spent three years in that doctorate program, still kind of training and pursuing triathlon on the side and then got my degree in 2019. And, um, yeah, I knew like from day one of PT school that I wanted to work with endurance athletes. That's like where my passion was. Um, and I, if I had known then when I was younger, like what I know now about injury prevention and health in general, like, I feel like my trajectory could have in sport could have been so different. So I, that's kind of one of the big reasons why I do what I do on Instagram. And it really started through the pandemic with uh, everything shutting down and, and athletes not having access to care. And I just started posting like educational tidbits and things. And it got, you know, so much good, like feedback from that. And real, I realized that you know, these like things that I think are simple, like simple pieces of knowledge that everyone should know. Most people don't know. And so (laughs) I think that something so simple like that should be free for everybody. Um, there are certain things like that you should know about your body. You know, this one part of you that you are born with and you die with. And it's like, so shocking to me how much people don't know about their own body. And so like, that's kind of my passion. Um, you know, just bringing awareness to certain injury prevention aspects of, of sport, um, rehab aspects of sport, and just, you know, just trying to educate, I guess. So, yeah, no, no, that's, that's awesome. And such an important cause and something like, um, that you don't see enough of nearly at all. And like you said, people have no idea so many simple things about their own body. Right. But, and that's like across the whole gamut of, of people like um you know our society is not really conducive to uh, you know having people have an awareness of these things or being taught these things and like uh, you know people sit in chairs all day at work and you know i've had my own issues with that that i had to go to pt for when i started cycling again but um you know because i'm sitting all the time and i wasn't you know doing proper uh, mobility stretching exercises but those are like simple little things that could help people uh, you know, not have those injuries and not have to stay out of something they love doing or not be active for a certain period of time. Right. So definitely, definitely. so important and no surprise that it, it took off for you. Um, cause you do it in such a, such an entertaining, but awesome and fun way. And, 
like something that everybody needs to check out. That's why we're super, super happy to chat with you about all of it today. Thank you. Yeah, I've yeah. it's been so fun for me to create this stuff the past couple of years. Yeah, no, that's, that's super cool. It seems like it was just the perfect storm and everything just, just happened and you're exactly where you need to be. Uh, so that's awesome. And your passion really shines through. So that's contagious, I feel like, as well for everyone. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, on a kind of a, a selfish note for Mike and I, uh, during the pandemic, we sort of went the other way and we were, I would say, heavily overtraining, <laughs> um, to put it lightly, um, on probably not a lot of rest either, um, because, you know, life is what it is and it's busy, right? But um, are you yeah. able to touch on any of like, um, you know, what overtraining looks like and what, what are the, some of the symptoms people should be aware of and uh, yeah, some of that sort of thing? I'm going to get diagnosed here. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there could, there are multiple ways to kind of look at it, you know, from an object, an objective standpoint, um, you know, like looking at your training stress score, your stress, your strain, your freshness, mm -hmm. if, you know, if you look at a training peaks or Strava or whatever, um, looking at blood markers can be a good indicator as well. Um, but basically over, over training is when you get to the point where your body is no longer able to recover with the training load that you're putting on top of it. So when it comes to training and giving your body a physiological stress or a stimulus, you, you, in order to progress, you want a little bit of overreaching, you know, you kind of overreach and then you back down and let the body recover. You overreach and then you back down. But the overtraining is when you're overreaching for too long and you're just not able to recover. Um, and so you're just accumulating all this stress on top of each other and you're just not really getting, you're not progressing. You're not getting, um, that kind of physiological training progress. And so, you know, that could look like something as simple as, um, you know, you're not sleeping well at night. And so, you know, you're waking up, you're waking up in the, like in the middle of the night, you're waking up in the morning exhausted. Um, you're, you don't have like as good of an appetite. Um, it could be, you know, and something as simple as, you know, you're not hitting your marks that you want to hit in your training sessions. You're not hitting your power. You're not hitting your paces. Your legs feel heavy. Um, you know, you're getting injured and injured injuries are like kind of a big, um, predictor of, you know, whether or not you're overtraining. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple different ways you could look at it, but ultimately like, you know, listening to your body, if you have a coach, having someone who can objectively analyze your data and your metrics to see kind of what those trends have been looking like over the past weeks or months. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like I mean, there were plenty of people who did exactly what you guys did over the pandemic. And in the <laughs> clinic where I work, we actually stayed open the whole year, um, mm -hmm. which was really nice because a lot of clinics closed and we had people just like you who, you know, they have all this free time. Maybe they were furloughed, maybe they were laid off and they, everybody bought bikes, by the way, everyone yeah, bought that's bikes. True too, yeah. We had, I was doing like five bike fits a week. It was kind of crazy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we had people just coming in to our clinic because they were injured because they were just, they went from like no training to like, now I have all this time in a bike. And so I'm going to ride like 15 hours a week. And, um, obviously <laughs> like, you know, graded exposure, they didn't slowly ramp up and build into that, that kind of volume. And then they ended up in our clinic. So 
<laughs> yeah, no, that uh, that certainly lines up for sure. Um, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. But they are lucky to, uh, to have you guys, especially that you stayed open and to do some good work with them. Um, probably something that was much needed during the pandemic that a lot of people didn't get access to. So that's great. Um, yeah. And, you know, on a, on a normal day, even without pandemic stuff, I imagine, uh, you know, working with a lot of endurance athletes, you must see a lot of like overuse injuries or, um, you know, poor mobility, um, you know, <laughs> so what can you tell us about the importance of like activation and strength training, um, stretching, um, that sort of thing, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, this, I, hone on, on this a lot in some of the stuff that I post. And I think, you know, in terms of how to reduce your risk for injury in sport, like one of the easiest ways you can do that is just properly warming up before a training session. And this is something that, um, I think a lot of athletes don't value enough and that could mean something different for each person, but ultimately, I mean, kind of easing into a workout, you know, letting that heart rate, ramp up a little bit, letting the blood flow, get to your muscles, letting your vessels dilate. Um, and then, you know, in terms of making sure that we're recruiting what we want to recruit to do the job, I'm a big fan of doing like pre ride, pre run activation, like muscle activation stuff. Um, because I mean, if you're someone who has a desk job and you sit for seven, eight, nine hours a day, uh, the chances of you getting out of that chair and going out, like hopping straight on your bike or going out for a run and having your body know, like, you know, what, how to move well, um, mm -hmm. are pretty poor. And so our muscles get lazy, like when we're sitting on them, um, especially the posterior chain, you know, you're decreasing blood flow to the area when you're sitting, um, they're inactive. And so, sometimes you just need a little bit of kind of like a primer activity to kind of get things going to get the, I hate saying like fight, like get your glutes firing because like <laughs> your glutes are working when you're running yeah. and cycling. If they weren't like, you literally wouldn't be able to accomplish the task, <laughs> but yeah. it's just like, how can we get blood flow to the area? How can we get things, um, activated? So they are better primed to take on the load. So that's, that's how I think of, of the activation work. Um, and I, I've have riders who come in for bike fits and I, I give a lot of them like pre-ride activation work to do okay. just to, you know, when you get on the bike, it's, you know, just to make sure that, you know, they're able to engage the muscles that they want to engage to put out their power. And so it's been really helpful. I do, I do it for my training as well. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, knock on wood, my desk is wood right here, but so far this year has been like, despite like all of my really intense training, I've been going since I think literally January, my first race was March and I have another Ironman in two weeks. Um, but I've been like pretty solid this year and I really don't want to jinx myself. So that's why I'm knocking on the wood, but you know, I've, I've put in the extra time to work on mobility, you know, especially if I've been sitting a lot throughout the day, I've, I, before every single workout, I do some sort of pre pre swim, pre ride, pre run warm up, whether it's dynamic mobility or activation work before I go out and run. Like I never just get up from my desk and go run. And I, maybe I could do that in my twenties, but I was also always <laughs> injured in my twenties. So maybe not, yeah. <laughs> but 
um, you know, now that I'm in my thirties, it's like, I really have to pay attention to things because my body doesn't work quite the same way that it used to. (laughs) And so, you know, if doing, if spending extra five, seven minutes before a session keeps me healthy and keeps me able to do the things I want to do pain-free, then it is absolutely worth it to me. Mm -hmm. Sounds like I've got one more year of not warming up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna count down the days. Yeah. Just after wait. after that year, Mike, you're you're so screwed. You have no yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like uh, a lot. Like you all, that's exactly what you said. Like five to seven minutes is all it really takes, right? And you hear people all the time say, oh, "I don't have time to do that" or whatever. But then they're in pain or they're injured and they can't ride or they can't run or can't work out, right? So yeah. Um, Yeah. Spending, spending those couple extra minutes before session versus spending like two months in PT to rehab an injury and not being able to ride or run like absolutely worth it to me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've totally been there myself too. Like when uh, I used to like cycle a lot to train when I was playing like junior hockey when I was younger and then um, I got out of it, but I got back into it. um, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago now, but um, in the very beginning, I think I read somewhere again, this is why your Instagram is so helpful. Uh, I read somewhere that like, Oh, half pro, half the pro cyclists, uh, don't stretch or anything like that. And I was like, Oh, I can do that. And then I didn't stretch or do anything and jumped right into like hammering up a hill on a like cross bike. Uh, and then my hip got hurt. So no, that like, yeah, it, it makes sense. Certainly. Uh, yeah. to do those things and not go through all that, uh, horrible time off and trying to recover and like you said, so. Yeah. The, the thing to remember about pro athletes is that it's their job. And so yes. yeah. most of them don't have a ton of extra life stressors like normal people do. And so, um, you know, they're not spending 40 hours a week, 45 hours a week working behind a desk. They're not dealing with all these other life stressors. You know, if they've, if they've got a team or good sponsors or, you know, they make a decent amount of prize money, but it's, you know, when their whole life is devoted to their sport and their training, they're, you know, that's, they're going to be spending like the extra, whether it's like going to get a massage a couple times a yeah. week or like really honing in on their nutrition and their hydration, their recovery, all of that stuff. Um, those are like the extra things that we not, may not be able to do just because of everything else that, that all the life stressors that are, um, that we are being exposed to so yeah totally totally yeah we we do not have that life mike and i (laughs) yeah i wish (laughs) (laughs) oh man um but no uh, continuing with um all your great work in terms of that injury prevention um and education you do a lot of work with bike fitting as well right i do yeah i'm a bike fitter yeah and that's such an important thing. I've had several of those and they've been uh, huge game changers for me. So I know like the profound impact that can make firsthand. Um, what are some of the crucial things maybe in terms of bike fitting or, or setting up your bike or tweaking things um, that people should know about? Yeah. So I, if, if you're having any type of pain or discomfort on the bike and you're, you're trying to tweak things and change little things here and there, it's just not working out for you. Just invest the time and the money into a bike fit. Like it's, it is, if you have a bike and you ride, 
it needs to be fitted to you properly. I've definitely had scenarios of like pro runners that come in to see me and they, they're not running because because of an injury. And then, you know, they get on this bike that they, maybe they bought off of eBay like a couple years ago, and then they just start to put a ton of miles on the bike and then they develop another injury because the bike's not fit to them. Um, so if you, if you, even if you don't call yourself a cyclist, if you have a bike and you ride a bike, like make sure it's fit to you properly, please. Um, the other thing I'll also say is that don't expect a bike fit to solve all your problems. So I've definitely had riders come in who maybe have extenuating issues, whether structural, um, you know, or like motor control wise with their body that makes it difficult for them to ride a bike in a healthy way or pain-free. And that also takes some convincing on my part of, you know, just trying to educate them on the importance of the work that they need to do off the bike so they can get on the bike and ride pain-free. Um, so while a bike fit is really important there, I would say most of the time there is some work that that rider needs to do off the bike, but then, you know, trying to convince a cyclist to, to do something other than ride their bike is hard because all they want to do is ride their bike. Um, but, (laughs) but yeah, in terms of bike fitting, obviously, you know, making sure the saddle position is tuned, uh, making sure you have a saddle that is supportive for your sit bone width. So saddles have sizes and a lot of people don't realize that. Um, and then, you know, making sure handlebar position is good, cleat placement, um, you know, pedaling dynamics, like so many things go into a fit. And I think that's what I love about bike fitting is that it can be like in and of itself, it's a pretty simple thing, but when you're dealing with a human being, that's really complex, it can get pretty complex. And so, you know, it's especially during the pandemic when, you know, we had all of these new cyclists come in with bikes, um, that they had just bought and they were pretty new to cycling and, um, maybe weren't, weren't super fit or, you know, hadn't really been active before. And then they get on the bike and they expect to just be able to ride a bike like pain-free and it doesn't really work like that. Some of the time, you know, you need to develop the core control to sit on the saddle. You need to develop the good pedaling mechanics. Um, so you're not stressing out, you know, certain structures in your, in your foot or your lower leg or your hip. And so, um, you know, there's like multiple, multiple little pieces that go into a bike fit. And the way that we do it where I work is we're all doctors of physical therapy who perform the bike fits. And I love having that extra lens on the fit because you really see things from a different perspective when someone's on the bike. Like I could see something, you know, in terms of maybe some like pelvic rotation or something that they're doing with their knee or some sort of side bending with their spine that may not necessarily be a bike fit issue that may be an issue that we need to address off the bike and being able to make that kind of change off the bike and then get them on the bike and have them look completely different is a pretty powerful thing. Um, so that I feel grateful to be able to look at a bike fit from kind of all lenses and really provide like the most holistic service that I can for my riders. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you're in Boulder, go see Dr. Kate right away for a bike. Fit. <laughs> you, you will get uh, a yes. prostitute. 
Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah. guarantee. <laughs> well, I can never guarantee that, but if you, if you listen to what I say, both on and off the bike, then I I think I can improve your whether it's like subjectively your quality of cycling, your happiness, um, you know, all of hey, that. That's it, my goal. Yeah, if it equates to not getting injured and more time training, you might just get faster too. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I was forced to get my first bike fit because I got a bike with a must that had to be cut. Um, and I wasn't just going to do it and guess myself. Um, and, yeah. and I haven't looked back since. Like every bike has been a bike fit since then because it was night yeah. and day. Like every other bike was uncomfortable. And then this one just yeah. feels like it fits. Um, so everything else has had, has had a fit afterwards. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's an investment financially, but it is absolutely worth it. Yeah. And even like, uh, I've had several different ones done too. And same with like Mike said, I, I will never not get a bike fit because it just feels so much better. Um, and if it feels better, you're going to be able to perform better as well. It just makes sense too. Um, You're going to love cycling more. You're going to love riding. It's not going to be painful. Um, yeah. Uh, some, some clinics too, I know, depending where you are, might just be worth researching because some can bill it, uh, to your benefits too. If people have benefits, I've had that before, which is really helpful, but even if they don't, I would still highly recommend getting it done because it's, it's just that good. And like Mike said, night and day. Definitely. 100%. Yeah. Does, um, like if people are going through any type of like weight loss or their physiology is changing, does that impact the bike fit? Like, should they get another fit if they've say lost a bunch of weight or something like that? Definitely. Yeah. Your body changes every year, whether, whether or not you realize it. And so if you're spending a lot of time on the bike, like I highly recommend a follow-up fit every year just to make sure things are dialed in, um, as your body's changing, whether you're young and you're growing or you're getting older, um, you're gaining weight, you're losing weight, anything like that, just to kind of make sure that you, that everything is being addressed and you're not putting yourself, you know, if you're losing mobility in a joint or, um, you gained a little weight. And so, you know, the stance width of your cleat positioning needs to be different, something like that. Um, you know, just making sure that you have all of that dialed in and and you're constantly keeping up with it as is pretty Mm -hmm. important. So. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's very good to know. Um, and you touched on like during the fits and stuff, you, you review some of the, like how people are pedaling and pedaling technique. Um, and, uh, like, are, is there anything you'd heard of like tips to, to proper pedaling technique or things that people should be trying to be conscious of while they're riding? Um, like I had heard maybe keeping your heels up a bit and trying to show like the top of your foot, uh, have that out a bit more kind of like forces a bit more blood flow, gets your heart rate lower. Like, is that true? Stuff like that. I don't necessarily know if that is true, but I, I mean the best pedaling, ideally you don't want to be thinking too much about your pedaling dynamics in the beginning stages as you're learning, like a different movement pattern, it is going to be conscious, but you should not be consciously thinking about your pedaling with every single pedal stroke. And, and cause that sometimes can move the needle all the way over to the the more extreme end of things where now you're doing like really excessive ankling motions, which is just going to waste energy and you're not going to get an efficient transfer of power into the pedal. Um, but where I work, we're really, really big on the foot and ankle complex and the importance of ankle stability and really utilizing that big toe, um, to transfer power into the pedal. And one of the 
first questions we ask everyone who comes in for a bike a bike fit is if they have a history of ankle sprains mm-hmm. um, because that kind of ankle instability can really really impact your pedaling mechanics and it could impact things up the chain so when we think about bike fit there really are only three main points of contact with the bike you have the saddle the handlebars and the pedals um, mm-hmm. so if things aren't stable in one of those points of contact you're going to be more than likely offloading stress onto other parts so for example if you have a saddle that is too narrow and it's not supportive enough for your sit bones and you're not stable through it in the, in your pelvis, you could potentially be putting more stress into your hands. And so, you know, getting some shoulder discomfort, hand numbness, things like that, or putting more pressure into your pedals, um, um, into your cleats. And so having really strong, stable ankles, I think is undervalued in cycling and, and really important. I've had riders come in who really have pretty poor plantar flexion ankle strength. So kind of pushing the ball of the foot down and what they do is they end up excessively dropping their heel throughout the pedal stroke just because, you know, either maybe they learned that like a while ago and that's just their, that's just how they pedal or they don't have the strength to really utilize their foot to transfer power into the pedal. And what they do is they end up they end up really stressing out some of the muscles in the ankles, like the tibialis posterior on the inside of the ankle, the Achilles, they can stress out the hamstring, sciatic nerve, everything up the back. Um, so the posterior chain. And so I had, uh, one pro triathlete come in to see me a couple months ago and she had developed a high hamstring tendon tear and then a tear of her, that tibialis posterior muscle on the inside of her ankle on the opposite foot. And so she oh, came geez. in to see me for a bike fit and, um, she, she was having pain with both cycling, cycling and running. Um, but cycling would definitely really irritate that hamstring, especially riding her time trial bike in an aero position. And I discovered with her that she had a pretty excessive like heel drop throughout the whole pedal stroke, like, like excessive, excessive. And, um, she really had no concept of using like her forefoot or her big toe or anything like that. And so with every, every time she dropped that heel on the downstroke, she was just stretching the hamstring, that posted muscle in her ankle and the sciatic nerve, which runs pretty close to that high hamstring. And so with every single pedal stroke, she was just kind of like, just causing tension and stress in those structures. And so I worked with her a ton on pedaling dynamics and she ended up taking some time off of um, training to kind of get both issues sorted out. And as she got back into riding, she could totally tell if she reverted to her old pedaling mechanics, her ankle would start to hurt or her hamstring Uh, would start to hurt. And so that was like really good feedback for her to like, okay, no, like, you know, the pedaling mechanics I was using before just aren't conducive to like what's going on with me. And so, you know, having to retrain some of her old schools of thought ultimately to make her a more efficient rider, but also just to like take load off of all and stress off of those structures was pretty important. Wow. Sounds like you're able to do some great work for her, but, uh, yeah, that's awesome. And just definitely something people should be aware of too. Like you, like we just said a few minutes ago, it's, it's a pretty clear difference. Like you can feel the difference after you get a bike fit. So, um, you know, a lot of people talk about you need to be in tune with your body and, uh, know what the, these things feel like and stuff, but it's not that hard, like to tell, like people, 
I think might have a tendency to think it's more complex than it is. Like you can tell when that's going back to those old habits because it starts to hurt. Like you're just saying. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And it's, and I'll always say that there's, there's no one right pedaling style. Like you shouldn't, like not everyone has to pedal the same way. There are pro cyclists who, who do drop their heels successfully and it works for them. And if it works for them, that's totally fine. Um, Mm -hmm. there are also pro cyclists who have excessive toe point and that's totally fine. Like, you know, find not everybody's body is the same, find what works for you. And if you Mm -hmm. can make little adjustments here and there to improve your overall like pedaling efficiency, then absolutely go that route. So, yeah. Great, great advice on that too. Yeah. Everybody's not the same. So why should you try to be the same as somebody else? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds simple, but people definitely forget that. Yeah. Um, and this, um, the big toe pedaling with your big toe. Can you tell us a little about, about that? Yeah. So I say big toe cause it's the easiest thing to like kind of direct your mind to what part of your body. But in reality, what we're talking about is kind of that inside, um, column of the foot. So, um, big toe, the ball of, I call it the ball of your big toe, basically like the, um, base of that first metatarsal. And then that first metatarsal kind of on the inside of the foot. And what, what that whole structure is called is your first ray and that first ray being able to push through that, put what we call plantar flexion is pretty important for walking and running and cycling as well. Cause you know, when you're on the bike, you're really only weight bearing through your forefoot. Um, your heels, not ever in contact with the pedal. And so having a really strong first ray and having good awareness of that part of your body is, is pretty important. You know, we don't want our foot to be super floppy as we're trying to push power produced from our hips into the pedal. You know, we want a strong, stable platform to push that power into the pedal. We don't want to lose any Watts anywhere. And so having a really strong ankle and stable ankle and being able to utilize that part of your foot allows for like a more efficient transfer of power into the pedal there. So I've, I've worked with cyclists who like on like experienced cyclists on pedaling dynamics and, you know, I had them go out and ride after our fit. And like, you know, I had one of them text me and he was like, I just had like 20 more Watts without even trying just Mm -hmm. from like changing (laughs) those pedaling dynamics. And, you know, it's, it's simple things like that. And I think, you know, the bike fitting industry as a whole, you know, bike fitters were not PTs first, you know, and so they having that kind of background of like, um, your anatomy and your biomechanics wasn't really a thing. And so when you see over and over again, issues in the clinic with cyclists and with bike fitting, it becomes a common trend. And you're like, okay, there's something going on here. Like, can we make a change with this part of the fit with this with this part of the pedaling with the foot, um, to improve everything else up the chain and to just make your pedaling more efficient. And so that's kind of why we're so big on the foot and ankle, just because we have seen such great, you know, improvements from, from focusing on that and targeting that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And like anything where you can get like people spend thousands to get a watt here and there. Right. But you know, you need to really focus, like you just said, you got that text about 20 extra Watts just from working on these things. Like this should be way more important for people. Yeah, no, that's, that's it's it's the heart. It's the high hanging fruit, I guess you could say. (laughs) (laughs) It's the stuff that you actually have to spend time and work through. It's not as easy as like, uh, 
buying a ceramic speed or something like yeah. that. Yeah. People, <laughs> don't, people don't notice your pedaling technique. They notice my new wheels, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. true. Very exactly. true. <laughs> if you roll up to the group ride and you're like, hey, look at my new bike fit. I don't think you get the, you're not going to get the same reaction. <laughs> no. <laughs> From me, we, we, you would. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, wow, your foot yeah. looks amazing. Who did it? <laughs> we need to normalize this. At yeah. Size, for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Nora, uh, on bike fit too. Um, like, as, as a professional, what are your thoughts on like, um, like your hoods? Should the hoods be tilted in slightly so your hands more like anatomical, or? Or should they just be like straight on flat? Like that's not comfortable to me. Honestly, whatever works best for you. <laughs> I, like I'm not going to make everyone try to ride in the same position. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I know all the like the new gravel bars now have the hoods that are just really like inverted, like pointing yeah. in and. I've had riders come in who don't like that because what that ends up doing is it like it puts your um, wrist and your forearm into more like. I don't know if you can see the camera, but to more pronation and that pronation can cause a little bit more like tension in the shoulders because you can elevate those shoulders a little bit more. So, I mean, whatever, ultimately, whatever position is the most comfortable for you is going to be the best position for you. Makes sense. End of story. So (laughs) fair. No, no, no. Great, great points. Yeah. Um, And, and all that great work you do with, uh, you know, stability down the chain as well. Um, like my favorite saying around the, you know, all this is, is sort of like, you can't fire a cannon out of a canoe, right? Do you um, know Jay DeSherry? No, no. <laughs> he's the one, he says that as well. Oh he's yeah. A, he's okay. a PT. Yeah. I love that saying. Oh, nice. But it's so, so true, right? You have to be nice and stable down the whole chain to, to really get good power. Um, yep. Yeah, no. So, and, you know, you've talked before about the foot brain connection. I've heard some of this as well through about like pelvic floor physios talk about pelvic floor and foot brain connection the whole way down. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, and this has to do with like activation in the brain and things being overlapped. Is that right? Yeah. So when we talk about, um, like the foot, what innervates the muscles in the foot and the glute, they really, they come from the same level of the spinal cord. Um, so like L4, mostly L5. So the lower levels of lumbar spine and the upper levels of sacrum, like S1, S2, um, this, those, so those levels of the spinal cord, you have different nerve roots that exit the spinal cord and those nerve roots innervate groups of muscles, um, that we call myotomes. And so those groups of muscles for those lower levels of the lumbar spine are the glutes and some of the intrinsic muscles in the foot and ankle. So, so when I say like they're connected, they literally are connected. (laughs) Um, They come from the same nerve root. Um, Mm. But there's also like a, a a pretty good connection with the, that big toe, that first ray that I was just talking about and the glute. So we have runners specifically, because I see this a lot more with, um, with weight bearing sports, like running and hiking and stuff like that. But you know, if someone comes in with a history of ankle sprain and they have got some chronic ankle instability going on. And so they, they're just walking, um, with a lot, like loading the outside of their feet a lot, which tends to happen when you have a history of ankle sprain for some reason, the, you know, your proprioception and in your foot is just kind of goes haywire. And then we end up loading the outsides of our feet and have a really hard time utilizing that big toe. And so 
some of these runners have a really hard time just with awareness of their hips and not necessarily like glute activation or getting the glutes to fire or anything like that, but just awareness of where their hips are in space and how motor control wise, how to use them in that walking and running pattern. And so, you know, working with them on getting a better connection with that part of that foot, that big toe, that first ray can really almost like turn on what they're feeling in their hips. Um, cause you're just, you're now using the foot in the way that it was designed to be used. And that is going to help everything up the chain do what it was designed to do. So the foot is really the only part of, it is the only part of the body that makes contact with the ground when we walk and run. And so, you know, mm -hmm. having, making sure that you're getting the feedback you need to get from your feet and that feet is working, the, that foot is working the way it's supposed to is going to ensure that everything up the chain now can follow along suit. Wow. So. Wow. Very, uh, very sound. <laughs> very, very, very profound answer. Um, you, uh, clearly you have a wealth of knowledge of all of this. I mean, you, you are a doctor, um, but, uh, how do you find like all of that knowledge, uh, helps you like as an athlete? Uh, it definitely help. It helps me for sure. I also have my fair share of injuries and niggles and mm -hmm. things like that. You know, if you're, if you're an athlete and you're pushing yourself in the sport, it's kind of comes with the territory. So mm -hmm. if you don't really push yourself to those limits and you don't get injured, then you know, maybe you're not really exploring what you're capable of. So I think for me, just, you know, knowing when things are a red flag is really important. So in terms of like symptoms and pain, you know, if something is getting worse with an activity, that's a pretty clear red flag to stop. You know, if something hurts a lot more after an activity, that's a pretty clear red flag. If something is, if pain is changing the way I'm running or walking or riding the bike, like I'm trying to compensate, that's a pretty clear red flag. And so those, those kinds of flags, um, are, you know, I follow those to a T because I have seen what happens repercussion wise. If you ignore those and you kind of keep loading and loading and loading. I see what happens in the clinic. And so yeah. the second something like comes on for me, like I start to feel a niggle, I'm like, all right, I don't, I don't necessarily stop everything, but I immediately get it addressed, whether it's something I can do on my own, um, here, uh, through just kind of soft tissue work. Um, I can, I do some dry needling and sometimes I dry needle myself, um, oh, nice. or like exercise, and if it's something I can't figure out, then I'm going to my colleagues and I'm having them take a look at me and try to help me figure out what's going on. Cause you can really only like thoroughly evaluate yourself so much. So oh, yeah. to, having to those outside sure. eyes. Yeah. And that unbiased yeah. viewpoint is, is pretty critical. So to me, I think that's helped me stay like pretty healthy. Um, mm. Cause I definitely before PT school was in those shoes where, you know, something would hurt and I would just continue training on it because I was like, yeah. eh, it'll get, it'll just get better. Like I'll just keep going. <laughs> it's not getting worse, but it's not getting yeah, better. Yeah. So I'll just keep training on it. And I would just have these like injuries for months because I wouldn't yeah. do anything. I was like too stubborn <laughs> to do anything about it. Like honestly, looking back, I don't know why I didn't do anything. I really don't know why. Yeah. And so that <laughs> obviously don't do that anymore. And that's like, you know, my biggest piece of advice to athletes is the second, like something comes on, just, just go get addressed. Um, mm -hmm. your body is clearly trying to tell you something and, you know, 
if, if you, maybe it goes away eventually and then maybe something else pops up cause you didn't address the root cause before, but the second something comes up, just, um, not even the second, like before anything comes up, go in to see a PT and, and get like kind of a prehab eval to make sure that, yeah. you know, there's nothing going on that is putting you at risk for developing an injury down the road. So, yeah, no, that's, that's such great advice. Um, I think there's such a like culture in sports um, and it's changing for the better, I think, but uh, there's been an overwhelming sentiment of like, if you don't push through something, like you're not tough um, and it's like mentally tough to get through or to play hurt or get through an injury, but like you, you could do some serious damage and like, I don't like, it's not necessarily smart to push through something that is going to give you some serious damage or make you worse off or not able to compete for a long time or, or, even ever sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just, just listen to your body. Like it's a very good communicator, but sometimes we have a hard time figuring out what it's trying to say. And that's when you may need the experts to kind of come in and really figure out what's going on. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, also Mike and I, I, I'm not sure if we'll ever know what this is like, but uh, there's lots of people who probably don't know what it's like to race I really at Kona. Hope I never know. <laughs> <laughs> at the Ironman World Championships, um, it's it's a pretty incredible uh, accomplishment for people, and uh, congratulations to you on that. Um, are you Thank able to you. give us a breakdown on uh, on the like how how it is to race there? Oh, I don't know if you want my breakdown. <laughs> it's not a very good story. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, I know it wasn't your your day, and like, uh, honestly, I'm I'm positive you'll be back. Um, I think like it's so important uh, for people to see athletes push through uh, when they have struggles as well. Um, were, were you not just saying that it's important to listen and not break through this? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Pushing That's through different. when you're different. This is, different. <laughs> this is the one you can push through. <laughs> no, no, but yeah. not a not a structural muscular thing. But yeah. uh, just you know, I think you were. I read your your breakdown of it, and I think you were like very dehydrated, right? Yeah, I had some nutritional nutrition hydration mistakes early on in the race that I just could not recover from. And so it, it really all went downhill pretty early for me, unfortunately. And in an environment like that, that's so hot and humid, it's just such an extreme environment. You really can't make any mistakes with your nutrition and hydration because you just can't recover. So, um, so yeah, it was, a it was a long day. I will say that, uh, I learned a lot of good lessons Unfortunately, I had to learn them on the biggest stage in triathlon, but it is what it is. Um, so, yeah. No, I think like even professionals, uh, you know, fumble over some things like that and you'll absolutely be back. I know you will. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's an accomplishment for anybody to cross that finish line, though. And like I remember, I think you lost like a ton of weight, right? Over the course of the day. Yeah, I so what happened initially is early on in the bike, like literally the first two or three miles, I hit a pothole and my front, I have an aero bottle between my bars and the front and that dislodged and I lost all my fluid in it. So I turned around to go get it because otherwise I wouldn't, you know, I needed it to like put more fluids in from the aid stations. And, um, so the only thing I had on my bike until the first aid station, which wasn't for another like 45 minutes was a really concentrated 
bottle of fluids in my frame, but it was like really, really concentrated And what I would do is I would mix that with water from the aid stations. So the only thing I was sipping on for like the first hour was this like really concentrated sports drink mix. And it just made me feel so nauseous. And mm. I like wasn't really getting the fluids in. I couldn't drink it because it made me feel sick. And I was already before I hit the first first aid station, just so dehydrated. And then I was like trying to trying to catch back up, taking the fluids. But then like just that that influx of like so much fluid in my stomach and my GI system made me feel even more nauseous. So I like felt so nauseous for pretty much the whole bike. Couldn't put out any power. Um, and then I got to the run and it was just literally like survival mode. And so I think I went to the med tent after cause I like everything started seizing up on me and I had lost like six or seven pounds cause they weigh you before Holy. the race and then they weighed me in the med tent. And I was like, that's, that's insane. That's like, I mean, I don't weigh that, that much. That's like that's right. a pretty significant amount. And so there was just like, there's just no way I could perform like, in that kind of state. And so it was tough. I mean, those hot, humid races are, are tough, will always be tough for me because I have a pretty high sweat rate. And so just trying to figure out like what my GI system can tolerate, you know, maybe working on it more in training. So I'm actually training my GI system better to mm -hmm. help me better prepare. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I have Ironman Cozumel in, in two weeks and that's also a hot and humid race and kind of mm -hmm. wanted to like, go back into that environment and really see if I can actually like perform because <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that I can, but it's just, you know, you can't make any mistakes like that. Is that yeah. an environment that you would put yourself in before? Is there some kind of like, I guess not like altitude training, but some kind of like heat training? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't, I work, so I don't have the luxury of going somewhere for a couple weeks to train. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, when I, so when I did Kona, I did it as an amateur this year. Um, and now, and then I turned professional after, but a lot of pro athletes will go to like some in the Boulder area, go to Kansas where it's really hot and humid a couple weeks before the race. Some go to Maui, some go to Kona. So they're really getting that heat training in here in Colorado. It's like, it can be warm, but it's so dry. It's just not the same. And I was doing my sauna protocol, my warm, warm water immersion, like in the bathtub, like after workouts and things like that. And I thought that I had prepared well, but the second I stepped foot on that Island, I was like, wow, this is <laughs> so different. This is, this is going to be a shock to my system. So wow. you said that you, you, I'm just like remembering back of another conversation we had with another guest. I think it was Carolyn Carter, who is also a triathlete. And yeah. she said some really weird stuff about turning pro in triathlete. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how weird it is. And she was like, she turned pro without even realizing. And someone had to tell her after the race, she was like, you just, you just became pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she, uh, she's awesome. I haven't met her in person, but we talk a lot on Instagram, but she had qualified at a race earlier this year. And then when you qualify, you, you can take your pro card, like you can register as an elite, but you also don't have to. So I think she, when she had did that race, she didn't realize that she had even qualified. And then she realized she could take her pro card and she was like, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Let's give it a shot. That's like, yeah, that's kind of what I did. Yeah. When did you get yours? So I, where, I guess. Yeah. I qualified in at Ironman Florida last fall and you usually have a year from that date to take 
the pro card. Um, but then I also qualified again this year at Ironman Des Moines. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. Super Thank cool. you. Yeah. Congrats. Well deserved. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah. No. And Mike touched on it as well. So I'll like, of course, the those races are all over the place and you have to do all sorts of, you know, training, like not just the physical training, like you're talking about trying to train your gut um, to just take on that much like uh, nutrition, that sort of things. Um, how do you find in terms of like altitude training, like you, you, how long you've been in Boulder now? I've been in Boulder for about five years. So since okay, 2017. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you said, I think you said it was like six months to a year somewhere in there that it took you to like to adjust to the altitude? I think mentally and emotionally, it probably took <laughs> yeah, me like okay. a year yeah. <laughs> of like getting over what, you know, what I would be able to put out at sea level versus here, like in establishing what the new norm is. And now I think five years in, I'm like, it's normal for me. Like, I don't even think yeah. about, oh, at sea level, like, I could be so much faster. At sea level, I could like put out so much more power. It's just like, nope, this is where I live. And this, these are my zones, this is my FTP. Like, yeah. this is where it is. And then when I go to sea level, it's like kind of a bonus. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I am able to put out more power. My heart rate is lower. Like, this is, this yeah. is a positive. But um, yeah, it definitely was an adjustment because I moved to Colorado from New York City, which is, below sea level at sometimes um so yeah it was it was a, a hard adjustment but i love it here <laughs> no, i'm racking up uh, excuses for when we visit yeah it's uh <laughs> oh, <it's, laughs> well you know what the air is thinner here so you should be able to go faster only downhill which I already got. <laughs> i've already got that covered okay. yeah yeah we'll we'll keep training for the descents yeah, mike and i yeah. um <laughs> perfect that's my favorite part anyway so i'll yeah, exactly. uh, do that with you <laughs> are there ski lifts there? <laughs> <laughs> oh my there's got to be i think i've seen a few there's got to be there are a couple yeah uh, what uh you know sort of with people's physiology um you know like i said i've kind of just been reading the uh, anatomy for babies so um, if you don't mind explaining for people the, what happens physiologically, uh, in terms of when you go to altitude. Yeah. So a lot of people think that there's less oxygen in the air, but in reality, the partial pressure of oxygen is just lower. Um, so then that oxygen is not as readily available to your muscles, um, as they need. And so what you end up doing is you end up producing more red blood cells to carry more oxygen to your muscles. So. Hmm. That's kind of like the big thing about the the um, just being up in higher elevation. So, mm -hmm. wow. And is there anything um, like I've seen people with these ridiculous altitude masks? There's no way that can work. Is that right? Honestly, I don't <laughs> want to say yes or no one way or another because I just don't know enough about that to to yeah, say. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with probably no. <laughs> but you know, if you can't, if you can't, you know, come out to Colorado to train, they always say humidity is the poor man's altitude. So okay. honestly, I don't know what's worse, hot and humid or nice, dry, cool, but high altitude. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, there actually was a research study and I can't remember who the author was, but they were looking at, um, performance in various climates and they were comparing three different climates. The first was altitude. The second was hot and he hot, like heat. 
I don't know if it was humid, but I know it was hot. And the third was altitude plus heat. So like combining okay. them. And there was no greater benefit of training in the heat plus the altitude versus just altitude or just the heat. I think because the physiological stress was so much greater okay. combining both of them. And so you really weren't getting like much more of a benefit by combining both of them. So I think if you're going to wow. do altitude training, that's great. If you're going to do heat training, that's great. But Unfortunately for us in the summer, when it is a hundred degrees, you just got to <laughs> make it work. Any <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just go climb up into the mountains where it's cooler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the risk of sounding incredibly stupid, which I'm used to doing, but <laughs> as, a, as a drug for going altitude, is that, that's a real thing, right? I have no idea. Is that a thing? I think it, it like it's a blood thin. It like it allows for more oxygen to the blood. Yeah, I think. But now I just sound really stupid because nobody can answer. <laughs> um, I'm I, as a doctor, I'm gonna say do not do that unless you speak to your doctor and you know make sure that's the right thing for you. But I don't know. <laughs> Oh. oh man but josh can try that when we go visit I'll, yeah I'll, I'll there you, go. you can take it josh we'll <laughs> uh, on that note um do you find the uh, the world of triathlon people very welcoming <laughs> what a segue <laughs> i think so yeah i mean you like yeah. just there is in any sport you know you've got welcoming people and and non-welcoming people but um, I've built up such a huge, um, not huge, but such a, um, close community of friends in the sport here in Boulder, but even just like all across the country from social media. And it's, it's been a pretty powerful thing because triathlon is not a super mainstream sport. I mean, it's not like cycling, it's not like running. Um, and so just being able to connect with other athletes who really understand the sport is, is pretty powerful. And, I had um, one guy message me on Instagram who said that he really, really appreciated like the kind of community I had built and like the things that I oh, put nice. out on Instagram because where he lives, like nobody does triathlon. His family doesn't oh, care man. about triathlon. Like he loves the sport, but he doesn't really have like a community. So like yeah. what I've built on social media has helped like kind of create a community for him and that like meant so oh, much to amazing. me because yeah, that's so cool you know being here in boulder where it's like the endurance mecca and like you could walk outside and there's probably a triath a pro triathlete outside somewhere and it's like you don't realize that or you forget that it's not like that everywhere else and so yeah, yeah. sometimes people don't have like a local community where they live and you know yeah. still being able to have that connection even if it is like virtually i think is it could just make the sport seem like much more inclusive. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, just like I said at the very, very beginning, you've just managed to do so many awesome things um, with your Instagram and your social media. Then that's that's such an awesome story. I love that. Thank yeah. you. So cool. Um, and, yeah. you know, you it must take even a lot of time just to do some social media stuff. But like you have, uh, you know, your full time PT work on top of that. And, uh, you know, not to mention now being a professional triathlete and competing everywhere. Like, how do you juggle all of this? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's this year has definitely been a learning experience for me because I think I have, have taken triathlon to the next level in terms of like how much time and energy I'm devoting to it. 
And, you know, I love my work as a PT. It is very physically demanding. I'm on my feet all day. I'm working hands-on with patients. I don't have that luxury of doing a morning training session and then recovering the rest of the day and then doing an evening training session. It's kind of like go, go, go all the time. And that definitely was something I had to consider for next year, you know, as since I will be racing pro, you know, what that's going to look like. And I think ultimately I'm going to take things down a step in terms of my in work, in clinic work, um, just not, not because I'll be training so much more, but so that I will have more time to recover because the training isn't anything without the recovery. Like if you're not recovering from that stimulus, that stress, you're just, there's almost like no point in like putting the work in, you're not going to get anywhere. So, um, so that I think is, has been like the biggest thing for me to realize. And, and the social media stuff is, is great. I love it. Like, I'm really glad that my followers are okay with me, like sometimes posting twice a day to like not posting for like a week or two straight, just because my schedule sometimes can be so erratic. But um, it's like social media will always be just like a fun thing for me. And, and I never want it to like feel like a job. So yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Um, (laughs) Even Sorry, Josh is texting me saying, did you actually say Viagra earlier? (laughs) (laughs) I like, I thought that's what you said, but then I was like, oh, there's no way you said that. Um, (laughs) I did actually look it up just just to clear it up. Pfizer says do not take it, but there was a private study of uh, Swiss and German mountaineers who had uh, incredible side effects from taking it. The, oh boy! For help, helpful climbing. Sorry, that was yeah, yeah. not the best way to say it. Uh, but okay. apparently, it it allows more oxygen into the bloodstream um, okay. by relaxing okay. the blood okay. vessels. Well, you and can be the n equals yeah. one study. So when yeah, you come yeah. to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez. So I just got a straight face, Josh. Sorry. Thanks. <laughs> Thank, no, no, it's okay. Thanks, thanks, Mikey, for outing me. That's great. <laughs> Oh God! Um, on that note, Mike, <laughs> Mike can wrap it up with uh, the final one there. Uh, yeah. So um, I think you just mentioned this a little bit. Um, but what's next for you in in the next couple of years? What are your big plans? What are your goals? Just honestly, see where I can go in the sport. Um, that's going to be like the biggest um, the biggest goal for me. You know, I've, I have never really triathlon's always just kind of been like a side thing, like on the back burner. And so I really, you know, if I put it in the front, I really want to see what I can do and where I can go with it. And then, you know, just kind of continuing to grow, um, you know, my online presence and see what kind of opportunities arise with that in terms of, um, you know, like injury prevention, rehab, prehab, strength work, um, and all of it in my coaching as well. So I'm actually in the process of launching like a new website for all of that, hopefully in the next month or two, um, that will oh, help wow, just kind of put cool. everything in one place. So amazing. Amazing. Yeah. When, uh, when we post this, we'll definitely link all of that stuff for you as well and, and get people directed that way. Super cool. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I hope that you don't have to, I know you've been doing some like long, long inside rides. Um, I, uh, I hope it doesn't entail too, too much of that. Um, yeah, I think I did a super long, like charity ride inside and I, 
I don't think I touched my trainer for a long time after that. But uh, yeah, it's <laughs> tough. It's really tough. What, uh, what's the goal uh, behind those quickly? So Cosmel is that's what I have in two weeks and that's obviously a pretty flat course. So you're going to be an right. arrow the whole time. It's not a ton of turns. It's hot and humid. And so this time of year in Colorado, it is a little chillier outside. We got snow a couple days ago. And oh, so wow. my goal is for some of these longer, longer rides is just to spend that time in the arrow position um, with really without any distractions. I turn the heat up. I don't put a fan on. Um, I've been working with a new uh, sports nutritionist. And so we've been doing some like sweat rate testing as well. Um, after wow. Kona, I was like, I just need, I need a little bit of guidance there. So, so for we've sure. been doing that. Yeah. And so um, for some of the long sessions and it's been really helpful, you know, weighing myself before, weighing myself after counting, you know, how much fluid I'm intaking, carbohydrates, sodium intake, all of that stuff. So it's more, they're more, kind of like testing sessions rather because my the past couple long rides haven't had really any intensity so it's just kind of like spending time in the saddle in the arrow position (laughs) practicing my race nutrition nice yeah yeah and i mean you you get your online community into it as well and people can ask you questions during those so that's awesome too yeah Uh, it makes makes the time fly by for me so yeah nice nice. (laughs) it's Awesome. awesome awesome Yeah. Well, I think uh, we just got a couple rapid fire questions to wrap it up for you, if that's cool. Yeah, let's do it. Mikey, kick it off. Yeah, but I'm editing your first one because you've missed Hammerhead. So the the first one is... (laughs) Okay, okay, fair. Yeah, I've got to say it now. Uh, Hammerhead, Garmin, Oahu. I've only ever used Garmin, so... Um, best place to ride. Ooh, peak to peak highway here in Colorado. Mm. The most beautiful place to ride in the summer. We'll have to check it out. Just Uh, another reason for you guys to come. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) There's just a long list now. Um, ankle socks, (laughs) high socks, or no socks? I'm gonna have to say high socks. I don't. Would anyone say no socks, Josh? Oh, maybe if you're a barefoot runner. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or you just have I weird think, hygiene habits. Yeah. <laughs> I think the no socks thing is crazy myself. But yeah. um, best in-ride snack. Mm, I love, I'm going to give a shout out to Waffles. They're a local Boulder company and they make mm. these like liege waffles, which are like kind of soft um, and like the perfect thing to put in your cycling jersey pocket. So Waffles with a V. Okay. Sounds we'll check good. it out. Yeah, definitely order some. Yeah. yeah. We have some similar yeah. stuff here as well, I think. I, I do like yeah. those waffles on a bike ride. Um, your, your favorite song to run or ride to? That's a really hard question to ask a music major, I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I literally, it could be anything. It could be classical music. It could be EDM. It could be hardcore rap hip hop. Probably will never be country. I'm sorry to everyone who likes country, but my my music tastes are pretty diverse, for nice. better or for worse. So I don't know if I could say one favorite song. <laughs> I think we're definitely in the same boat with some pretty diverse music tastes, uh, Mikey and I. I know Mike just bought the new Taylor Swift album, and I sure did. Uh, 
and then I went and bought another vinyl of Taylor Swift. But I, yeah, yeah. I chased oh, it with no. a more. Oh no! I, no no no! But I chased it with another more more indie artist. So it was like it was okay. And I put it underneath when I went to the checkout. I was like, don't look at the Taylor Swift. Uh, also, it's my birthday. So don't judge me. Was actually what I said to him. Sorry. Hey, you do you, okay? Yeah. To be fair, Mike also uh, like had a record deal way back when he was living in the UK. So it's very wow. small and short lived. Now I just have <laughs> guitars behind me for the fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. Good display. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah. Okay. So, uh, do you have a dream bike? Mm, I saw this one, and I, <laughs> I, I actually, um, will probably be signing with a, a race team for uh, 2023, oh. and the bike okay, is okay. super cool, and I can't say yet what it's going to be. Uh, okay, but, okay. But I'm not going like to say it, yet. Though. But but that is you your follow. <laughs> yes, yes, we got to check it out. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Okay, I Just can't wait to see. Stay tuned, TBD. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, would you rather be dancing or singing? Oh my God. Literally, these are the hardest <laughs> questions ever. Honestly, oh, that's honest. I think this is harder than the music question. I don't know. <laughs> singing is so cathartic to me. Like, it's like a therapy because um, it feels so good. But dancing is the same way. But if I could only choose mm. one, honestly, I, I think I'd probably choose the movement, the dancing. Do you, do you nice. sing on your rides? <laughs> no because i'm usually out of breath because i'm here at altitude because because this was something that i had from a vocal sing uh, a vocal, vocal trainer when i was uh much younger was like running and singing was a really good way for breathing exercises oh that's um, really but, hard it's yeah. gonna be hard on your diaphragm yeah. i mean build good diaphragmatic strength but exactly yeah, yeah. And I think didn't they tell you to take Viagra first, Mike? And then <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's it. Okay, yeah. it's really kooky back in England. For yeah. everyone listening, this is not medical advice. Okay, <laughs> consult your doctor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, excellent, excellent note to wrap it up with a nice, serious last question. But uh, um, who who is your hero? Oh, my hero. I think we're going to bring it full circle to what I talked about in the very beginning, but probably my dad. Because oh, um, I don't think I would be where I am now without his influence in sport. And he's he's also a doctor. And so having that influ- that medical influence growing up, I think, led me to where I am now, even if it wasn't like a straight journey and there were a bunch of little tangents. But he mm-hmm. has like first and foremost influenced everything that I am today so super grateful for him you know he he grew up on a small farm in Ohio and uh, kind of worked his way through undergrad through med school raising a family of five um, wow. you know working <laughs> long hours I mean he's in his 60s and he's still working long hours just to provide and you know just being so selfless in that way and and just inspiring everyone in my family to live a like a happy and and um healthy life so yeah wow no that's awesome very very cool yeah great great way to cap it off absolutely awesome well this has been fun thank you guys yeah yeah no thank you so so much for for your time and for for putting up with us it's uh it's always uh, amazing to have such great insight on the show and in so many different ways so thank you we really appreciate it you guys are very welcome always happy to share <laughs>